Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Lights on Data Show. Today, we're going to talk about the people side of managing data projects. I love it. I love it. And our wonderful guest, Dan Everett, today is the techno optimist. I love that title. <laughs> I think we need more optimists in, in any field. He believes that technology like data analytics, AI, cloud, and automation can be used to make the world a better place. That's beautiful. His passion is to help people orient their understanding, use, and value measurement of technology around a human centered perspective and showcasing how how technology enables and empowers people's ingenuity, creativity, and collaboration to address both business and larger societal issues. His areas of expertise lie in creating a data and analytic strategy that is linked to business value and societal outcomes. Why can I not pronounce that word? Another area of expertise is also understanding how neuropsychology impacts organizational readiness and execution, as well as communicating the value of technology with a wide range of audiences. And last but not least, one of his passions and areas of expertise is also change management, a topic that is probably the most important in the world, I would say, <laughs> just kidding, but is one of our favorite, for sure, our favorite topics in the world. And we are very excited to hear all about it from Dan. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Diana. And I agree with you. I think it is the most important topic. We talk about data as an asset and it's our most important asset, but it's only provides value if we actually put it in the hands of people to use it. Excited exactly. to be here today talking with you. Likewise. Likewise. Before we dive into the topic, Dan, so our audience gets to know you a little bit better. Can you share a fun fact about yourself or a hobby that you have? Sure. Fun fact about myself. I like to create music parody songs about data. So my last one was The Pain of Silos, which is written to Simon and Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence. So you can find it on LinkedIn. Love it. Like it. <laughs> it was my favorite as well. <laughs> yeah. So please follow Dan on LinkedIn for more of his contents and parodies too. Yes. Dan, can we start by learning a little bit about your journey? How did you get where you are today? Well, <laughs> I'll give you the short version. I, so I started out as I wanted to be an electrical engineer and calculus is hard and math was not my thing. So I went into <laughs> computer science and then it was really, I, the money was in SQL database administration in the early nineties, taught myself SQL and then went into pre-sales where it was really about demonstrating the value of technology and then into marketing, which is really, I think where I best fit because I'm a storyteller at heart. And that's, that's the short version of how I got here. Mm. Yeah. And that's a great, another great skill to have storytelling. Yes. Scott Taylor would agree. <laughs> <laughs> and how about change management? So how did you start having this inclination and passion towards change management? Change management that started. So at one point I was the, or the standard standards and calibration lab for United airlines. So it was a lot of plan, do check act, deming type of cycle types of things. But then I have a son with high functioning autism. And so I've learned more about psychology and neuroscience than I ever would have imagined. And so really my passion is understanding we all have cognitive bias, right? Just part of the developmental, um, 
or evolutionary process of humans, right? And so understanding how that impacts change management. And I think that's really the smaller niche within change management that I'm super excited about, because I think that there's a lot that we can learn and change and do better in terms of project management. Definitely. So I think we, we've addressed change management before, but just for the audience that's watching now live, that's listening in, how would you describe change management? And I need to say that I am very curious how you're going to do it because I, my job title is adoption and change management consultant and people say, oh, when I tell them, oh, okay. <laughs> and then they ask me, okay, so what do you do? So most of the people, at least the ones that I get to say what I do to, they don't know. And then I say, okay, how much time do you have? So did I explain to you how this is? Actually, I looked at your LinkedIn profile. No, I'm really nervous. Oh my goodness. No, um, not at all. I'm a simple person. So I look at change management as like, how do we change the culture? And it's specifically, how do we change it around data? So how do we get the right roles? How do we get the right organizational structures? How do we identify the skills that we need? How do we deliver training? I separate it out from program project management, like more of the... How do we implement the processes? How do we implement the technology? How do we define the ownership and governance and project timelines and those sorts of things? I think people a lot of times blend those two, but I like to separate them out, but that's my perspective. I'd love to hear how you think about it, Diana. Yeah. So to me, just as you agreed with, you know, with George, when you named this episode is the people side of change. It's how do we bring the people from the current state to the future state? And to me, it's more of a focus on that communication training aspect, sponsorship, very important as well. So it's more about the experience of the end user or that person that is impacted by the change. I personally find it less, you know, about, about what actually is changing, meaning that the process side and the role side, I see more of a project management um, piece, but they go hand in hand, right? So it's, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> right. You absolutely can't, you can create a plan, but you always have to execute on the plan. Yeah. Yes. So as data teams, I would imagine change does happen and would happen within the data team as well. Maybe because people are changing themselves, new people coming in, other people's going out, different dynamics forming as a result, maybe new technology stack being involved, maybe a new project management methodology, agile versus waterfall as a result, or a new way of tackling the whole data analytics cycle. But I, I would think that maybe the, the biggest challenge is on the projects that are being developed by the data team, the products that they come up with, the change that those products and projects are inflicting upon the rest of the organization and the end user, that's the biggest change I think that data teams would face, I think. I. Yeah. So I think we don't look at that enough. So first off, I'm going to, I'm going to sidetrack here for just a second, George. Yes, and please. Let's put this in the bigger context. How many data strategy documents have you seen, George? Mm. Hundreds, thousands? I don't know. Give me a broad, just general answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's stack high. Yeah. Yeah. And what percentage of those documents have been about change management versus technology? 
ten percent, five percent. Yeah, maybe maybe even less. I think. Right. Yeah, it's something that definitely stands out because it's so rare. Right, and you look at all the research that comes out, New Vantage Partners and Randy Bean and other ones. Ninety percent of the challenge is in culture and behavioral change, but we're putting one percent or less of our efforts around change management and how we deliver on that. So yeah, it's the most important thing, right? Back to where we started. And then for me, it's how do you, if you're going to change people's behavior, how do you communicate to them? So let's say we're going to do, we're doing a data, we're going to implement a data mesh, right? And so now we're, we're reorganizing data engineers and all of these other people into new teams, right? One of the things that we as humans, right? We have this need for relatedness, right? We're all social creatures, right? And we've developed relationships with other people. And now we need to come together and develop relationships with new people, right? That maybe we haven't worked with before, right? So how do we do that, right? How do we bring those people together, right? How do we create a new, I, I don't know, organizational mentality to rally around, right? Not just a data engineer, creating pipelines now, I'm part of this bigger team, right? And we're creating data products, right? And so you really have to help people get their minds around that change. And that takes time. And that takes time. And you have to give people, um, people want some autonomy, right? In, in their work, right? That's another fundamental piece of human psychology, right? So can you give people opportunities to make some choices about how the change happens, right? So they don't feel like they're being coerced or they get resentful about it. Um, and what's your recommendation for some of the best practice to implement to, to address this part that doesn't need to always come from the top down. By the way, I have to say to our audience from the feedback and the comments that I've seen on LinkedIn. Dan is just an amazing manager and people really love working with him. So obviously you're managing people very well. So that's always appreciated and that's always a great skill to have. So do you feel it always needs to come from the top down? Do you also need to combine it with the, the bottom up approach and have those champions that you're identifying and having them also voice the same message you're delivering? I absolutely think it, it needs to come top down and bottoms up and from the top down. Can we create some transparency into the process, helping people understand why the change is made and the process used to determine the order of things and why the decisions were made? Because if you can create that transparency, people may not necessarily be happy about the change, but at least they'll understand, like, how do we get to, how do we get here? And then from the bottom up, I mean, you absolutely you need to recruit allies, right? So people are strongly influenced by who communicates information and what others in their peer group are doing, right? And there's always people that are seen as trusted advisors or experts among their coworkers, right? They're not the managers, they're not the top-down people, they're just people in their circle, right? That don't really have formal authority, but people trust them, right? That's Those are the people that they go to, okay, what do you, think about this. If you can get them to acknowledge the change, and if you can get them to come on board 
And if you can get them to share their thoughts about it, right, you have a much better chance of bringing everybody else along with you. Lovely. Naja here from YouTube, they're mentioning that they've seen probably up to 2% of the data strategy documents that they've looked at reference change management. And uh, they're using training as part of their change management strategy for communicating data strategy, policy, governance, et cetera. And they would definitely like to learn more about these best practices. So this episode is very timely for them. Oh, that's great. That's really interesting training to me. Again, I'm going to go back to neuropsychology, <laughs> but what neuropsychology has shown, so they do functional MRIs, right? And so they can see which parts of the brains are being used in, in processing and chunking, right? So like they did a study where they gave one group study 10 math questions, right? And then they tested them. And then they did another test with a group where they did five and five. So learn five and then come back and learn five more. So in the short term, the people that did the 10 remembered better, but in the long term, the people did five and five remembered better. So that's one aspect. And then another thing that neuroscience has shown us is that you do training, give yourself at least 24 hours, right? Because there's a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which is like a thumb drive, right? It takes everything in, right? And then when you go to sleep, it figures out what are the important things that happen? Okay. George is wearing, a looks like a black sh shirt. Now, is that important to what happens here? No. So it figures out what's important and what, and stores it in memory. So you don't want, so you want to do short things, allow yourself time to sleep and the hippocampus to do its thing and then do training again, preferably the next day. So three trainings it seems to be about the optimal in terms of learning and retention. Very interesting. We're definitely not using that. What I know, I am a very slow learner, so I tend to read those or to read or to listen to things several times just so it the layers just mm -hmm. sit and just lay on top of each other and at some point get to to learn that particular thing but but i think it, what you just shared is actually a very precious piece of information especially for people who want to learn themselves right now are in the face of learning and we're actually constantly learning new things especially if we want to invest in our careers and advancement and so on but also if you if any one of our audience organizes trainings this is also very valuable information yeah i mean we do we it takes time right we have to what's the there was some stat, it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become proficient at something. So mm. yeah. We have a question here from Kingsley. Great to have Kingsley again on the Hi. show. Uh, he had a bit of an absence there. So I'm glad that you're tuning in again. Kingsley's wondering, how do you manage the people autonomy with the change that the organization wants to implement, especially when you are not carried along during the process of adopting the change? Maybe it's a new technology as an example. Should organizations consult the persons in the department before making such a decision? So only if you're really going to listen to them, <laughs> right? So, so don't just be like, oh, we want your input, but we've already decided what we're going to do, right? That's so condescending. You will just, you'll make things worse. But if you actually are open to that, asking about the need for change, have you thought about 
we need to evolve the business to support requirements around speed and agility and data analysis. And how do we evolve the concept of data pipelines from like linear data collection and consolidation to more of a collect and connect or connect and share mindset, right? And then asking people like, okay, given this need, what are the challenges that you see? What are the things that we aren't considering from your perspective? Because as you move up the leadership ladder, your visibility down in the lower levels becomes more and more opaque. It's just the way that it is, right? But asking them, what would you do differently and why? And then starting to actually take those things and incorporate those in, right? And then providing feedback back to them. Okay, this is what we heard from you and we've evaluated it. And this is what we've heard some, from some other people. And based on all of these things, all of this input, here's, here's why we decided to go in this direction. Or if you're organizing new teams, can you give people some say in terms of, I, my preference would be to be on the team with George and Diana, even small things where you can give them some choice in the change is going to help. Yes, definitely. I think the more it is possible for the people impacted by the change to have a say in how in the change, the higher the chances of the change to really be adopted by those people, but it's not always possible. So just as you said, yes, ask them if you can do something yeah. <laughs> with their answer at That's all. That's a very good point. Yeah. And Kingsley is because I feel that often you're not being a part of that journey before the decision is made and only after the fact. Yeah. To, your, to your point then, wh why do you think some, uh, some people are actually asking, even though they don't quite care about the answer, is it maybe because they're hoping it will match your answer or will match what they're planning to provide you? I don't, I can't say it. I right. Only, right. Uh, my, my guess is that they feel like, oh yeah, I should ask people about check it. Check the box. Right? Yeah. yeah. You check the box. Right. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I think is really important when change is happening is to validate what people have done. Right. One of the human needs is status. Right. And work is a very big piece of how we get our status in the world validated. So mm -hmm. instead of just saying, and I use this example in one of my LinkedIn posts, right? Who was creating reports for their boss, right? Instead of just coming and saying, Hey, you don't need to do those reports anymore. We've created some self-service pieces and you can go do something else, right? Say, look, you've done a really great job, right? And we really appreciate what you've done, right? And we'd like to use your talent to help an even broader group of people. And this is why we're reorganizing in this way. And we feel that your impact will be even bigger than it was before. So you're validating their status, right? You're validating their worth and you're giving them the opportunity to make an even bigger impact, right? In your organization. Makes me feel good just now, right now, just mm -hmm. talking about it, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have maybe a harder question for you. So uh -oh. for example, in the Prosci Adkar change management model, they're mentioning that change always occurs at the individual level and needs to be targeted at the individual level because each individual is different and so forth and so on. But I think in reality, when you're implementing a change management with everybody, not everybody will be on the same page, I would imagine, right? So sure, you might be targeting the individual. But I, I think it's almost impossible to 
be able to get 100% of the people really agree and get them along for the journey of that change. So is then the goal to address and make sure the majority will come along? Or do you actually should tackle it at the individual level? And in a big company like Informatica, let's say, is that even possible? What do you think, Diana? This is for you as well. <laughs> I'm going to let I believe that, yes, it does happen at the individual level. And I think it's when people feel addressed personally, mm -hmm. when they feel cared for, they react differently to, to change or mm -hmm. willing and open to, to put in the effort. And I think just as even ProSci teaches us, and not only most of the change management models, that's this idea that you have the people managers. So you as a, as maybe the project manager, the change manager, the whole initiative will not have time to go to each of those thousand people that are affected by the change and talk to them and ask them what they need, give them what you need. Pretty breaking down into but groups. Exactly. So you have the people managers and the people managers are very important actors in this and changes in general because they have direct direct access to the individual that is changing. So the idea is that you create <clears throat> as a project slash change manager, you create this or you coach the people managers to guide their own individual team members through mm -hmm. change. Okay. So then that addresses the fact that yes, we are going to reach out to everybody, but then I would imagine even so, there will be people that are don't buy into it. So there will be people, yeah. I, I guess, different categories or the levels of their eagerness. People that are going to just want to jump on board, be like, yes, heads on. I don't even know what it's about, but I want it. Uh, and others that are will understand once you explain the benefits and why and how it addresses their own needs. And others that are be like, no, I really don't want to change at all if it's better for me. You're always going to get that. Yes. Right. You're never going to get a hundred percent of the people on board. And I agree with Diana that the individual managers, I think being in, in middle management is the toughest place to be, mm -hmm. right? It, it's incumbent upon them. Okay. It's incumbent upon executives, right? To get the middle managers trained. What are we doing? And then it's incumbent upon the middle managers to actually help their people understand and get on board with the change. And again, this is where it comes down to how do you talk to people, right? How do you identify the things that are the neural response triggers that are going to create resistance to change? So if all of a sudden are attacking my status, right, that's going to trigger a threat response, right? And I'm not going to yeah. want to change, right? Or if you're not giving me any kind of choice and I feel like I'm just being coerced and shoved into this, right, then I'm going to resist. Or you're completely disrupting all of the relationships that I've built and you're not giving me the tools to build new relationships with the new team that I have, you're going to have resistance to change, right? If I don't understand the process of how the change was made, I might perceive it as unfair, right? This whole process and this change, how they went about it was unfair. Now I feel victimized and I'm going to go discredit the whole process with the rest of the, with the rest of my little peer group, right? Mm. So you, you really have to understand what those neuro response triggers are and manage the way that you speak to people with those in mind. And I, you'll never get everybody on board. You won't. 
but if you can understand those things so there's something called the scarf model from dr david rock who runs the neuro leadership institute which i really like and so those response triggers are status certainty autonomy relatedness and fairness so that's the scarf model if anybody's interested look it up in terms of the the neuroscience and neuropsychology of change management i think it's really interesting I love it so much. scarf yes i'll definitely look it up there's also the the six needs of the human needs psychology though that there are certainty uncertainty or variety connection which is the R, then significance, which is the status, also the need for contribution and the need for growth. So I guess the, the two models have a lot in common, but it's the idea of yeah. asking yourself what, how are we <clears throat> impacting these needs of, of the end users or the people impacted by the change and how can we address them in such a way that they, that the people are still feel in control and feel that they still have the status and so on. And if they don't, then that should be addressed as well, because change is about losing control a little bit and maybe right. losing something that you hold dear to, but by, by simply addressing that and acknowledging it and offering something in return, that's great. Yeah. And I think the, you were talking about the certainty aspect, right? And uncertainty is the most stressful thing as humans, right? Mm -hmm. A known bad, bad outcome is less stressful than a known unknown outcome. Yes. And one of the challenges in change management is helping people live with the uncomfortableness of uncertainty a little bit longer, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times just the mere act of acknowledging uncertainty helps reduce the stress and anxiety about it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Understand we haven't figured everything out yet, but this is where we're at. And while we might not have all the details, these are the things that we do know right now. These are the things that we can control. Right. And as we move forward, we'll continue to get more clarity and more clarity. Yes. I, so what you just said is really very important. A bad outcome is, or a known bad outcome is, it creates a little bit more certainty than an unknown outcome even if it's a good outcome and that that is why communication is so important yeah absolutely and, agree you can't over communicate and this reminds me we, we just had a meeting at work today we, we're, we're, there are some changes within the organization some a little bit of a re reorganizational from an organizational perspective and that's exactly what, what they said okay for now we're not sure exactly how that's gonna look like but we are here for you and we are at the faces of the change. So I know that I, now I am aware of the people that are, are the sponsors of this change. They have uh, talked to us directly. So for me at this point, this is enough to be at ease because they told us, okay, it's us who are doing this. So you can ask us anything for now. This is the information that we have. And as soon as we have new information, you're going to be aware of that. And that was enough for us at this moment in time. And we appreciated the fact that they addressed us directly other than us creating scenarios in our minds about, oh, what is happening and who is doing this and why. And yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree because the mind is a storytelling organism, right? And as a, as executives, I think sometimes they're like 
how much do I say and when, and yes, you have to balance that. But if you don't give people some information, they'll make stories up themselves yes. of what it means. And that's the worst thing that you, can happen. You need to address that. And even if it's, like I said, it's, this is what we know right now. At least people are like, okay, they're talking to me about it as opposed to, oh my God, am I going to get fired? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have a LinkedIn user, sorry, anonymous LinkedIn user for some reason, your name is not showing up, but he's wondering, can you give an example of a data project and how it's different from, let's say a process implementation? That's the first part of the question. And then I'll read the second part and link dear LinkedIn user. I think when we came up with the, let's say the title of the episode, what we meant by a data project is really any, anything that involves the data team. So sometimes it might be a change in process, but it could also be, Hey, here's a new report or dashboard that gets out. Here's a new analytical model that gets out there. Here's a cool machine learning AI project that needs to be implemented and it will affect the teams or stakeholders being impacted as a result. So I think it can be any type of projects. And I, I think that the sort of best practices that Dan is sharing too can apply to other non-data projects too and process implementation projects as well. Yeah, any type of, what we discussed today is applicable to any type of change management that happens in an organization. We just started from the perspective of data management or data projects because that's where our background and expertise lies. I've been in data and analytics for, I don't know, 25 years now, long time, but all of these things that we talked about, regardless of what kind of change management things yeah. going on in your organization are applicable. Yeah. yeah. And I do think that data teams definitely need a lot of change management and communication. It's often his next part of the question is what are the top three get rights when we're talking about the people's side of change? Do you have a, do you have a top three must do's get rights, Dan? Communication, communication. <laughs> if you get the communication piece, right, the rest of it will fall into place, right? Training will fall into place. The processes will fall into place. The org structures will fall into place. If you screw up the, the communication piece. Do you have some recommendations on maybe the mediums of communications? So face-to-face -face and maybe some workshops, presentations, emails, we're all fans of emails, but are, have you encountered any other, let's say more novel ways of communicating to people? So here's what I would say to, to tech and data teams, somewhere in your organization, there's a communication team, right? Go find those people and have them help you. So that's one, two, and one of the most powerful memory hooks that humans have is music and rhythm. <laughs> so can you name a TV show that does not have a, like a theme song? No, there is one, but that, 60, that minutes, no, 60 minutes has the ticking clock, uh. but there's a reason why every TV show has a theme song because it gets lodged, it, it gets stored in multiple places in the brain and even things with rhythm. So we have the rule of three, BC, one, two, three, right? That sort of rhythm, there's ways in which it gets connected into the memory that are very powerful. So that's another one. Hence my crazy songs <laughs> <laughs> about data. They're right. 
Yeah, they're hitting the right spot too. <laughs> they're very memorable. <laughs> All right. Hmm. I gotta now think how can we incorporate music in some of our communication. It's easier when you have a video or you're, you're just an online hire format. Dan. Just hire Dan. Yes. yes. <laughs> easier, like. Create a song. Talk about this change or sing about this change. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be a song, but I'm just saying, yeah. you know, storytelling, storytelling, right? Again, right. The mind is a storytelling organism, e even just the rhythm piece, right? We chunk out things for memory, right? Like phone numbers, right? Three, one, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. And that's how I remember it, right? If you try to remember 10 numbers, that's really hard, right? But if mm -hmm. I chunk it out three, three, and four it's a much easier and the three sort of has a rhythm to it, a natural rhythm to it. And then depending upon how you deliver it, that rhythm will also activate those other neuro memory responses. Very good point. I wanted to mention from my experience, I think another, let's say methodology, I, yeah. maybe not methodology, but it's the reward system. So to have a way of having that reinforcement that, Hey, you are part of the change. Well done. Welcome on board. Here's how you are rewarded also for setting an example for others to follow in, in processing that change. Yeah. And that could be anything from an actual award to some sort of a, maybe monetary compensation or just public recognition, verbal written. Yeah. For people who living the change. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, they're helping with creating a training or again, yes, leading others in their team to follow along and make it easier for them to adapt and adopt the change. Yes. So basically besides communication times three and training yeah. that we mentioned and sponsorship as well, that rewards and reinforcement is mm -hmm. also an important aspect. Of a lot of management. kudos and a big proponent of providing credit as well. Yes. So yeah, yeah, always provide credit. Credit. Everybody wants to be acknowledged and validated for yes. the things that they do, right? It's a, yes, it's, it creates a response in the brain of chemicals, right? That makes people feel good and want to continue. Yeah. And I think money is nice and everybody likes money, but the, the other things that you were talking about, right? Like recognizing with an award or maybe in a company meeting or in a team meeting, right? Those things are way more powerful in terms of the feeling that people get around it which is really what you, which is really what you want to drive. Right. And we like to think that we're rational creatures and we are to some extent, but feeling and emotion plays a huge part in especially change management yeah, and validate and just validation of what they've done and who they are completely agree. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yeah. It addresses also that status aspect and maybe mm -hmm. the relationships that yeah. are so important for people. So definitely that's, there's so much opportunity there and we don't do it as much as we could when the it other, comes to rewards. Yeah. The other thing about validation and recognition that I've found is that if you're going to give kudos to somebody for a good job, give the kudos and then full stop. I've mm -hmm. seen, and I'm guilty of it where we give kudos. And then we want to go and the next thing, and that sort of just invalidates, right? 
mm. you know, what you've done, right? If you want to talk about the next thing, separate out those two conversations, right? Mm. Or if you want to give some feedback of, of how it could have even been better, separate out those two conversations. And if you, when you're giving the kudos, great job, full stop. <laughs> yes. Enjoy it. Great lesson. Enjoy mm. the recognition for yeah. sure. So we've talked, we mentioned briefly at and I, we wanted to ask which change management models do you tend to use more? You're, you obviously have way more experience in this than I do coming from a process engineering background and previous roles, I lean more towards plan, do check act. I think frameworks are good for a general direction, right? A general here's the structure, the general structure where I find challenges with frameworks two two places. One, we want to provide, we have a tendency to provide, we want to make so much detail. We want to completely detail out what specific piece of this framework is, right? Get overly complex. And then by making it overly complex, we don't allow for some flexibility and then we get hung up on the framework itself. That doesn't, that doesn't fit into the framework as opposed to, if we have some general guidelines that allow flexibility, right? Cause there's always edge cases that we're never gonna, <laughs> we're never gonna get. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then it depends on the left, it depends on the level of the communication, right? So if you're working with the program project management team, they're obviously going to want more detail in terms of the change management model because they need it. But if you're trying to talk to the larger organization, right? Again, I'm going to go back to, you need to keep things simple, like three or four things, right? Like you could use plan, do, check, act with anybody in the organization and you could help them understand, right? What that means, right? In terms of their role, even if, I mean, I'm a warehouse worker and I'm, I need to use data to do order fulfillment and those sort of things, right? You can explain that cycle, right? If you get yeah. into some of the more project program management oriented models, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. it depends on who you're talking to and what your goal is definitely yes yes absolutely and oh it's always important to speak the language of, of the people that are affected by that change so if they're familiar with that with a, a certain model or a certain approach probably that that would be that is the best way to to address it that's great thank you very much dan My i pleasure. before we we and I just wanted to ask, is there anything that, I don't know, we didn't address something that you wanted to share, but you, we never got to ask about that. I don't think so. I think we addressed everything for me. And I say this all the time, life is a relationship experience, right? Yes. Everything that we do is in relationship to other people, right? Even technology is in relationship to people. And if we always remember that, right, we always, if we can move our thinking from tech-centered to people-centered, tech-enabled, right? Mm -hmm. We're going we're gonna to fundamentally change the experience that we have around data and analytics projects. So yeah, it's the people, it's the people. <laughs> this is great for a t-shirt. <laughs> people-centered, technology-enabled. Yes. Really well said. Thank you very much. And thank you for 
all your work. Thank you for making technology and everything so optimistic and so pleasant and easy to grasp and for translating everything through change management through the neuroscience. I think this is great. And I could talk about this until next year. <laughs> Thank you very much for your energy as always and have a beautiful weekend. Bye everybody. Bye -bye.